0: Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. On this week's design discussion, game designers Peter Gooses and Michael Kelly will discuss a board game
1: and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Co-OpCast. Today, we're going to be covering Battle for Greyport, which is a cooperative deck builder set in the same universe as the Red Dragon Inn series. And for our design discussion, we're going to talk about culling in deck builder games. Yeah, and Peter, I know deck builders are just your absolute favorite game genre, so this should be a fun review. You know, I don't hate them, but I just don't love them the way that you love them. Yeah, it's interesting. I've definitely noticed, as kind of the years have developed and I've played more and more of them, deck builders, deck building is one of my favorite like game mechanics. I tend to like most games that use it. Unless it's Harry Potter-Hogwarts battle, and then maybe not so much. Yes, well, again, speaking of culling, we, uh, <laughs> that game <laughs> yes, doesn't have It has none, <laughs> but we'll get to that in our design discussion. Absolutely. All right, well, let's get into Battle for Greyport. So Battle for Greyport is basically set in the Red Dragon Inn universe, as Mike had said earlier. Yeah, and for those who don't know Red Dragon Inn, it's basically like what happens after a Dungeons & Dragons adventure. Like, all the adventurers go to an inn and play a drinking game to try to get money from each other.
0: Yeah, and in this one, though, it is definitely the adventure itself. So, you go through three different locations. In the final location, you're going to meet up with the boss and try to defeat the boss. Each of these missions is going to be different from each other, so you can't really get into the theme of any one because they're all very specific to the boss that
1: you're fighting. So with that, Mike, why don't you get into the rules discussion? Sure. So in Battle for Greyport, each player chooses a unique adventurer, and they get an oversized set of three cards for that adventurer, level one, two, and three. And additionally, they get a nine-card deck for the adventurer, which is mostly pretty similar to the other decks with maybe two or three unique cards for that character. And as in most deck builders, you have a hand of five cards, but additionally you always have, or at least at the beginning of your turns, you'll have your adventurer card as well that you can use like other cards. And you'll have the location you're fighting over, as Peter mentioned, and you'll spawn monsters on the location and additionally some monsters in front of each player. And how the game progresses is on the active player's turn, all players, not just the active player, all players are able to play one hero. And if they choose one item on that hero, so you can have one item per hero. And those are the two types of cards, just heroes and items. And additionally, those heroes and or items can be tapped to deal their damage to monsters. Sometimes it's a set amount of damage and sometimes it's a roll. And you're trying to defeat these monsters. They each have hit points and armors and special abilities and all those kind of things. And basically, at the end of each active player's turn, all the monsters on that active player will hurt the active player. And all the monsters on the location will hurt the location. And if the location burns completely, you'll generally have some kind of negative effect happen to you. So the players try to defeat all the monsters, taking as little damage as possible, and once they defeat all the monsters for one mission or one part of the scenario, one location, they go on to the second one and the third one, as Peter mentioned, having to beat a boss at the end. But at the end of each player's turn, here's where the deck building comes in, there's an offer of four items and four heroes available, and players have a set of coins, bronze, silver, and gold, and they can spend one of their coins to buy a matching card, immediately adding it to their hand. And those are the basics. If any hero dies, you immediately lose the game. You just try to survive as long as you can and try to defeat that boss.
0: Yeah, thanks for the overview. And for those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. And what we do here for our review format is talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game. Starting with number five, which is the least important thing. Going all the way to number one, which is the most important. And I'll start off with my number five, which is how you buy cards in the game. So every location gives you a set amount of coins. Typically, the first location will give you two bronze and two silver. And each subsequent location will give you higher value coins. But the way you use the coins is at the bottom of every card, it'll tell you whether it costs a gold, silver, or bronze to buy that card. And you can spend that denomination or higher. So if I wanted to buy a bronze card, I could use silver to do that. And then you take it into your hand, as Mike said, Then, you can discard all the cards you want, and you redraw your hand. So, this is very different than most deck builders, where your currency is actually in your hand. In this, you're going to get four new cards per location. And it doesn't matter. Even if you beat it early, you still get to spend those coins at the end to continue building your deck. So... I think it's actually a pretty clever way of doing things. They know exactly how leveled you're going to be after each stage or after each location. So they really control deck building. Plus, they don't kind of fill your hand up with cards that aren't good for much except for adding to your deck. So I thought it was a unique way of doing it. I don't know any other deck builder that uses currency separate from the cards in your deck. So
1: I thought it was kind of neat. That's my number five. Man, this is really weird because I think this is going to be a game where we'll probably diverge quite a bit, maybe even in our final opinions. But my number five is the exact same as yours. It's uh, the recruitment coins and how you gain cards. And I also like this a lot. I also think it's a very unique mechanic. I'll just add that I think some players, especially like strict deck builders, might not love that you've kind of lost some choice because a lot of deck builders sort of have that give and take of adding a lot of money to your hand, but maybe like over bloating your hand with money, but then also being able to afford the strongest cards. You lose that here, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I like the difference. I like the consistency. I like that my deck gets stronger every turn, no matter what, and that my hand is not filled with kind of chafe that I don't need that's only there for buying. So for me, it works really well. But I think some players might be put off by it potentially.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that. All right, so getting on to my number four, which is the enemies are very varied in the game, which that's a lot of varies in there. <laughs> very varied. <laughs> and what I mean by that is there. is, first of all, the way you do monsters is they are monster decks, and typically you have one monster deck you're using for the first location, and then you add a second one in for the second and third location, which is usually a more difficult set of monsters. So it does scale in difficulty. As you go along, but each of the monsters does things pretty differently. So they have different effects like ambush. Whenever you have ambush and it's bright red, so it's a very obvious call out, it does something immediately when you play it down to the table. Or different monsters have different armor, which means you have to do a certain amount of damage before you can even start doing damage to their life. There are tanks, which you have to attack first before you can attack anybody else. There are ranged units, which you have to attack last. And sometimes they'll have some flavor text at the bottom, like the giant cobra is one that I can remember. Every time it attacks you, you put a curse card in your deck, which is just a dead card. So they're not very difficult to control. Each one is pretty simple in and of itself. But I think they do a lot with a little here. And the monsters feel very unique. One of my favorites also is like they have pack hunters, which like you put one of them down and then they spawn something from a token deck, which is basically another deck of monster cards where you just add a second monster of the same type. So if it's like a swarm of rats, you get more rats. So I really do think they do a lot with a little here and I really enjoy the variety in the monsters and the way they do it.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. That was kind of an honorable mention for me. I was thinking about including it, but definitely like the variety in the enemies, My number four is also a varied thing, and that's the scenario design, but I'm not even really focusing on the scenario design here, although I think it is pretty clever. I think the bosses can make things feel very different, especially with scenarios where like, you add werewolves every time or you add cultists every time, where they kind of leverage those token decks that you mentioned. But for me, what I like best about the scenario design in the game is that it has a very consistent ramp-up that makes the game get more challenging as the game progresses in a really nice kind of predictable way. You have, as you mentioned, the coins that get uh, higher and higher in their denomination. As the locations progress, you're going to get stronger things to your deck automatically. You have the nastier monster deck getting shuffled in for the second and third location, again upping the difficulty. And then, of course, in the most obvious way, you have the big boss showing up for the third location generally and really messing with you. So I feel like within a pretty short playtime for the game, usually my games take about an hour, you get a really nice ramp-up of difficulty and also a ramp-up of your power level. And it all feels like it kind of progresses in a meaningful way, but quickly. All right, so my number
0: three is actually very similar to your number four, which is the missions are similar, meaning they have this three-act structure But the bosses are very different. So I agree with pretty much everything you said. I have a little bit different feel for it, though. Yes, the games are an hour, maybe 90 minutes. But I feel like it's a little long. I do feel like it gets a little repetitive after a while. I'm always enjoying myself because it is ramping up. And you do have these highs and lows. So similar to Pandemic, when you draw cities, which are pretty safe... And then you get this outbreak, and then it kind of ramps up again really quickly, and then it slows down. Every time you go to a new location, it gets pretty exciting for a little bit. You, like, have to kind of figure out the puzzle. But, I don't know. The 3X, while I see they're necessary, and while I think they do what they're supposed to do, I kind of wish they were a little shorter. And I don't know how you do that. But... I do think it needs to be a little shorter. It feels a little long sometimes when I'm playing it. And maybe it's because I'm playing it mostly with my son, because here's a little look ahead. He loves the game. I think it might be his favorite game of all time. So when I return your game to you, I'm probably going to have to buy a copy for myself. (laughs) You can hang on to it for a while. That's fine. Yeah, he wants to play it all the time, and he absolutely loves it. So... But I do feel like it gets a bit long, and I do feel like I wish it ramped up a little faster and kind of ended a little faster, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, you know where I will give that to you, although my my number four was just a pro on this, I do think that sometimes the cleanup at the end of stage one and two can feel a little dragged out, like where you only have like maybe one or two monsters left, but it takes a little bit to kind of work through the mechanisms of the turn to get around to defeating those guys. I don't feel like it stays too long to like mess up the game for me, but I can see that feeling a little bit slow. Would you prefer, Peter, Like, if it was a, just a two-stage thing? Like one stage of setup and then one stage of boss, if they somehow balance the game to work that way? Maybe, or it might just be that
0: each individual turn actually takes a little bit. We haven't really covered this anywhere. So when it's your turn, you're really only allowed to play one hero card and one item to them. And you might not even have items for the hero you want to use. Now, there are certainly cards that allow you to dual-wield, which means use two items, or play another hero. And once you start building up those combos, each individual turn can actually take quite a bit of time. I mean, not a, a tremendous amount of time, but I just think it's the best part of the game and the worst part of the game all at the same time. And, I mean, I guess I'm talking about something that's not on my list. But I'm, I'm surprised that's definitely on my list. I'm surprised that it's not. on yours. So I, I guess we'll talk about it more later. But for me, th- th- it just builds up a little too much. So
1: we'll save the rest of that conversation for for later in the discussion. All right, but before we get to that, my number three, and this is my only pure con on my list. I'm generally pretty positive on this game. And that is the limited deck building, the limited potential for combos and the limited variety in the cards you can get. These kind of all go together. I, if you've heard any of our reviews of deck building, I'm usually pretty harsh with games that I don't see as having control over the deck of like really making use of the deck builder mechanic to actually let you build something interesting. And I feel like that's pretty much the case here. The heroes and the weapons tend to have pretty repetitive abilities. Like, you have a few special ability things and then very few items and heroes that kind of diverge from those basic abilities. And it makes the game very streamlined, but it also makes the deck building not that interesting. I usually feel like it's pretty obvious what I should get and what the best card is. The combos are very limited because besides, like, having a, you know, red melee weapon for a melee hero and a magic weapon for a magic hero and a few, like, little things, like, you know, if somebody cleaves and hits lots of monsters then you want to give them bonus damage i don't feel like there really are very many combos in here and there's not that much opportunity for culling you'll kind of see the same basic boring cards frequently so now this is like a full knock against the game because i don't think the game is trying to be a deck builder primarily i think it's like a lot of these games where deck building is a mechanic in the game but not the mechanic but that being said, I do think the deck building itself is fairly underwhelming for somebody who wants like a lot of fine-tuned control of how they build their deck.
0: Yeah, I can see that. My number two kind of tags onto that a little bit, which I called a simple system. I mean, for a deck building system, you don't have money in your deck. Basically, it's how much damage do you want to do? You have two different types of cards. You have heroes and you have items, and Two colors of cards as well. So you have red cards, which are all melee, and a melee character can only equip a melee item. For the most part, there are exceptions. And magic characters can only use magic items again. So those are blue. And so it's very easy to tell what goes together. Where it gets more complex is there's kind of different phase. So it's a very simple system. I think it's very easy to introduce to people, although it uses different phases than any other game. So when you play a hero from your hand to the table, that is one like action you can take, I guess, if you want to consider it like an action point system. So when I play a hero to the table, they may do something immediately. They may either allow me to play another hero, or they may snipe somebody, which means just do two damage to anybody on the table or whatever number of damage. Or they may do something else Immediately, like give you vision is something from the expansion, which means look through the top two cards of a deck, put them on top or bottom, your choice. So they may do something when you play them, but they don't actually do their damage right then, then you have to take another action to attack with them. So you can do some neat combos in the fact that like, sometimes you can use vision to then somebody else will let you draw a card, so you can draw into the card that you need, and if you draw that card, maybe you play it down, it lets you draw another card or something else. So there are some neat combos in that way, even in a simple system. I do like how easy it is to learn, although now that I'm talking through it, There are some complexities that other deck builders don't have. Usually in a deck builder, you can just throw all your cards out there and kind of figure it out afterward. In this one, you
1: are playing specific cards to do specific things. Yeah, so my number two goes into that, and this is uh, alluding to what you had mentioned earlier, and that is the simultaneous play. In a way, it's sort of simultaneous in that all players can play on each turn, Like every single player, not just the active player, can play a hero and maybe a weapon on them and then attack with those characters. And I would say not only can play, but almost have to play. Well, yes, if you want to win, absolutely. So this is is a weird one for me. I think it's like 75% pro and 25% con. So it really leans toward pro, but I guess I call it a mix overall. The pro is that it's incredibly tactical and incredibly cooperative. Probably the most cooperative... Well, I wouldn't even say probably. I would say definitely the most cooperative deck builder I've played, like way more than Aeon's End, way more than Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, way more than any of those other games. I feel like you have to constantly talk to each other. You have to constantly check in with each other. You have to constantly ask, you know, can you uh, help me out with this? Can you do a little bit of extra damage? This guy's doing this. What can you do for that? So I think it really does involve all the players, and I think that uh, is amped up the more players you have. With two players, it's pretty simple, but when you get into three and four, you have some really interesting tactical choices because your hand is not refilled until the end of your specific turn. So you have to kind of carefully figure out how you're going to use your resources across multiple players' turns, maybe not even playing anybody on some turns. Additionally, you have this taunting mechanic where you can pull monsters off the location or off other players onto yourself, potentially even skipping their chance to attack if they're not the, you know, if they go from being active monster to being in front of you and it's not your turn. So I think all of that is awesome. Really great tactics, really great cooperation. The negative, and this is where the 20 to 25% comes in, and you kind of talked about this a bit already, is that I think it does slow down the gameplay, especially with more players, in that... Well, I love that you talk to each other, you kind of have to talk to each other almost too much. And for what is usually a pretty straightforward and streamlined genre with deck builders, like you said, just play your hand and count up your points and do something with it. The tactics here definitely require a slow kind of play style. So I think it's going to go great with some game groups and be a major kind of obstacle for others. For me, it's mostly all good. Like I said, there's like a 75-80% pro But I could see that being a sticking point for some groups.
0: Yeah, and that leads into my number one. It's amazing. It's almost like we have a list of one thing because they keep leading one into the other. And, you know, it's like half a point here equals half a point there. Yeah. (laughs) My number one is teamwork is mandatory in this game. I mean, it really is. You are not going to be able to win this game by yourself. It means everybody's active on everybody's turn, but it might just mean you play one of your basic guys and do one point of damage, which can be underwhelming, but sometimes that one point of damage is what you need to kill the monster. I think it's funny. You were talking about how you can over-talk things, and we certainly do that, which is why our games are probably 90-plus minutes typically. There is a variant in the rulebook called Silent Play, which means you're just not allowed to talk to each other about what you're going to oh, do. No, I never your even turn. saw
1: that. <laughs> but that seems like it'd be a terrible way to try to win the game. I
0: mean, it's like playing the mind and uh, and Battle for Greyport all in one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this was their attempt to solve the alpha player problem, but, and I agree, like, teamwork in this game is mandatory, both in a good and a bad way. Certainly, even when you are buying things for the next turn, I'm almost looking at the next hero going, oh my gosh, they're not going to be able to take that much damage. What can we do? hey, can you take somebody who can taunt so you can take one of their creatures away? Because only the active person's monsters attack. So if I take a taunt card, I could taunt somebody off of you and then that they won't attack on your turn. They won't attack again until it gets all the way back to my turn. Or maybe this monster needs a ranged attack. So maybe you want to get somebody who can ignore range and they can go past that. So there are certainly things that you do and talk about even before it's the next player's turn. So it's very tactical. It's very puzzly in that way. Of course, it all comes down to the dice and the flip of cards sometimes as well. So the dice sometimes will determine your damage. And we didn't really touch on this, but each dice has a color. And so the different colors do different amounts of damage. So yellow dice can go from one to four, leaning toward two and three. White dice are just a regular D6. And then you get to the green dice, which really are like, you know, four, six, eight, kind of a damage. So there is a variety of damage available as well, but you still are coming down to that roll of the dice sometimes, which I think works well in here because it makes it exciting. But I'm kind of getting away from my point again. So my point for this one is teamwork is mandatory, and I really like that in this game. Although I do think what we talked about earlier is it does lead to longer turns. Like each individual player's
1: turn seems to take quite a while, like five to ten minutes just for one player to act. Yeah, I agree totally. I'm surprised uh, my number one, I don't think you mentioned it at all, and this is far and away my favorite thing about the game, and that is the unique character card you have that represents your character that you can use over and over again. Basically, uh, you get your character card back to use again at the end of every one of your specific turns. In a two-player game, you can use it every other turn. In a three-player game, you can use it every three turns. And it levels up as you go through each location. So it is generally pretty much always the most powerful hero you have. It's a resource that you have to carefully manage, especially in, in three-plus player games. In two-player games, you have it so frequently that you just kind of use it all the time. But I adore this mechanic for several ways. And the big thing that this mechanic strikes me with is why haven't other deck builders done this? Because, just to kind of call out some other cooperative deck builders, I think Aeon's End does have some pretty good ownership of the mages, like, with your special power and with, you know, charging up to use your superpower. Like, I feel like I'm a kind of a character there. But look at uh, Legendary Encounters, where, like, you're, you know, a soldier or a sniper, but all you have is a single card that comes up, like, every once in a while. And as your deck gets bigger, you're going to see that card less and less. Look at a Harry Potter Hogwarts battle, where you have, like, one or two kind of minor bonuses if you play certain kinds of cards. Like, it's just, like, a little combo opportunity. I look at regular Legendary, where, like, you're getting all these awesome, like, Spider-Man cards and Wolverine cards, but you are none of those characters. It feels like such a missed opportunity compared to this game, where I really feel like I'm this character, and I'm doing awesome stuff with this character. I I want a card in all those games that represents Harry Potter, that represents Wolverine, and I am that character, and I get to use that card frequently. Because... You know, deck builders are about playing awesome cards to do really cool stuff, and why is my character the only card that I can't play in all his other games? So, this game, I, I just love... I, you know, I love tactically the the measuring of when I want to use that resource, that most powerful hero that comes back consistently, but I can't use every turn. But also thematically, I just love... You know, this is going back a long, long time ago to one of our earliest episodes where we discussed kind of having a persona or an avatar that represents you in a game. I feel like I am a character in this game far away more than I do in any other deck builder, or at least cooperative deck builder I've ever played. And I love that. I love that I have someone to kind of identify with, someone who's powerful, someone who gets more powerful. All of that really hits my buttons and is just an awesome mechanic in this game. My favorite thing about it, by far. Well, and not only that, but... The deck itself is different, and I
0: know you said it's only one or two cards, but I mean one or two cards out of nine could be quite a difference. Now, I think they played with it more with certain characters than others. Some are very plain Jane, like, yeah, you get, you know, one item that works with a melee character, you get one that works with a magic character, but some are really cool. They'll have, like, different weapons. The character I used tonight when I was playing, you know, they were the weapon person, they started out where every time they played a weapon, they could draw another card on their level two. So we're talking about leveling up our characters. They could dual wield, meaning they could play two weapons. And again, every time they play a weapon, they could draw a card. So they're really keeping their card pool coming and cycling through their deck quicker on their third level. They could actually triple wield. That's the only triple wield in the entire game, meaning they could play three items on that character. And again, every time you play an item, you draw a card. So, that deck has two items that it starts with that are very different from most items in the game. And so I thought it was kind of neat how they played with not only the character itself, but also items within the deck to kind of give you a head start toward working toward what you want to get.
1: Yeah, and you reminded me of something else about this mechanic that I love that I forgot to say. And that is that while I said this game doesn't have the best combos out of deck builders I like that having your hero also makes your combos consistent. Like, you know how a lot of deck builders, you'll have that one card that kind of fuels all the rest of your combos, and if you just don't draw that card at the right time with other cards, then your combo doesn't happen? Here, you don't have that problem. You know you're getting your hero every two or three or however many turns, every single time consistently. So any card you draft that builds off of what your hero does, you will get to use in a consistent way. You will fire off those combos. It, It's almost, you know, Aeon's End achieves a similar thing by letting you decide what order you discard your cards in so you can make sure combos happen. Here it's almost a smoother way just because no matter how you shuffle your deck, you'll always have your hero with those cards when they come out. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't think of it that way, but I really like the way you phrase that. All right, so what are your final thoughts, Peter? I I thought you were going to be more negative about the game, but so far your points sounded mostly pretty positive, but are your overall thoughts a little bit less uh, so? Yeah, so one thing I didn't add here, which
0: when there's enough design points in a game, I don't want to add fluff stuff like art or difficulty of the game, things like that. So I did stay away from difficulty, which... I mean, let's be honest, this game is very hard. Very, very, very hard. I mean, that's the first thing most people are going to notice. The easy bosses are very beatable. And actually, I feel like, so they had to patch the game kind of just as it came out. They determined it was too hard. So now you can heal between each round. And a standard boss or an easy boss, I can beat with probably one heal between each round or maybe even none. And, and in all honesty, those some of those easy bosses don't seem that... Difficult to me, so that's even more boring because now I feel like I'm doing boring stuff for two rounds and then I finally get to a good fight. Well, that's not the case when you get to medium. Medium, you are fighting for your life literally from round one, and so that buildup doesn't bother me as much. Although each of those locations now is taking more time because it is difficult enough. So I didn't add difficulty, but just so everybody knows, this is a very difficult game. Even on medium, I can't even imagine the hard bosses. I haven't gotten there yet. And I feel like you'd have to play kind of gamey to beat the hard bosses, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I feel like you have to do certain things that aren't necessarily the most fun things to do necessarily. Maybe they feel cool the first or second time, but I feel like they would get kind of repetitive some of the things you have to do. And I don't want to ruin the game for anybody, so I'm not going to talk about them here. But I do feel like there'll be some gaminess there. I will say it's my son's favorite game. I mean, he loves playing. He keeps requesting playing. So, of course, I'm going to like it more because of that. I liked it less when I first played it, in all honesty. I felt it was kind of boring. All you can do is play a hero, maybe an item on him. If you have a hero that says you can play another hero, then you can do that. But it wasn't a lot to do, and I felt like whoever's turn it was kind of tended to do the most, but that isn't even always the case. So... My thoughts on this, as you're probably hearing, are pretty mixed. There are some things I really like about the game. I thought it was going to be not very tactical, but the more I've played it, the more I realize it really is. It is very Euro-puzzley. puzzly. is very, like a lot of things people like about a lot of games, like Spirit Island, where you are solving this tactical puzzle. And so I love that about it. I do feel like it runs a little long. I thought it was going to get samey, but to be honest with the different items that come out every game and with the different stuff. Yes. You see the same items over and over, but just the order they come out and what you're trying to do because each boss is different. I I really do have fun with this. I think overall, I'm going to come out positive on this game. It's certainly a game I'm not done exploring yet. And I played it quite a bit. And I think it's a game though, that you grow in skill on. I think this is a game similar to Salvation Road where you are going to start out not having a high level of skill, and it might even be frustrating at first. But the better and better you get at the game, the more you explore it, the more you explore different heroes, the more fun you're going to have with the system. And so I'm going to come out pretty positive in the end, but there are some definite things to watch out for. If you don't want to have to play a game 10 times just to kind of figure out the combos, figure out what you're supposed to do. If you don't like losing a lot, if you don't want to get frustrated by that, I think it's it's a cautionary tale. Play before you buy But for me,
1: I, I really do enjoy it. Yeah, I think I'm going to come out a, a good bit more positive than you. This might be my favorite cooperative deck builder. Blasphemer. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it. I, I think this is a, I enjoy this game more than Aeon's End. Yeah, w- without, without reservations, I can say that. We can all be wrong sometimes, and <laughs> yeah, you're wrong this time. <laughs> I'm not even going to say it's a better design game than Aeon's End, but I find the gameplay more compelling, and it's so much more cooperative, in my opinion, than Aeon's End. I don't find Aeon's End very cooperative. Where I wish the game had stuff like Aeon's End is Aeon's End has so much support and so many releases and so many coming down the pike, whereas this game, I don't know how well it did. I mean, the Red Dragon Inn franchise is pretty successful, so maybe the game might get a second expansion, but there aren't that many different cards in my kind of uh, perception in the base set. I want more variety. I want more things to play with, and I don't know if I'm ever going to get them. So that's a knock against the game. But yeah, I think the, the tactics here are fabulous. I think the theme is great. I think the variety from mission to mission is really, really strong. I will strongly recommend, if you get the game, picking up the Pirate Expansion, which is super cheap. I think uh, the, the hero cards you add aren't that exciting. They're fine. The new heroes, as Peter mentioned, are pretty fun. There's like a weapon-focused hero and a play of hero focused hero, and both of those are pretty different. They do change up the game. But what I love about the pirate expansion is that I think the missions are the best missions. They all have like these boats you have to shoot at, and you can use even your weak heroes to fire cannons at the boats, which changes up the feel of the missions quite a bit. So if you go in for the core game, I'd just say get the expansion right away. I think they go really well together. I think it's probably the sweet spot is three players because two player, you kind of use your main hero a little too often and the resource management isn't as strict, but I think four or five player, the game's going to go long and those turns are really going to feel interminable. So I would say three is great. Two works really well too. The majority of my games solo or with other people have been two player games, but yeah, I fully recommend this. You should be able to find it fairly cheap And by the way, big thanks to Jan on the Slack. He's the one who first... I'd never even heard of this game until he mentioned it, but now it's, like I said, one of my favorites. I think it's a great deck builder if you love that genre. I think it's a great tactical combat game. And Peter's right, it is hard, but with that optional rule they added of healing between scenarios, you can crank that up as much as you need. You can heal five between the different locations and be able to beat even those hard monsters, I think. So I'm not as worried about the difficulty as Peter is. I think it's a great game. I would definitely suggest you uh, check it out and maybe pick it up.
0: Yeah, and one thing I'll say, and maybe the reason this game hasn't done as well, or maybe it has done well, I don't know. I mean, if it's done well, I wish they would put out more expansions, because I agree. I think it needs more content already. Maybe they're having a hard time designing for it, because when you limit yourself to certain things. And I mean, it's a pro and a con of this game that there are very few keywords that they use. You know, once you've played it a few times, you kind of know what you're doing and you don't have to look up rules very often. But I think the con of that is you do limit your design space. And so maybe that's the difficulty they're running into with expansions or maybe it didn't do as well as they hoped it would. And part of that may be, and it was part of my reservation when I first played it, I was like, oh, this is a Red Dragon in game. I hate that stuff. Right? Because Red Dragon Inn is about as opposite as you can be to a co-op game. So maybe the Red Dragon Inn people picked up Greyport and they're like, what is this? Like, I want to beat people up. Why am I, like, helping each other? Like, this doesn't make any sense. So for me, it is actually very far away from the other genre, which is a beat-em-up, like mess with your neighbor type of a game and this is a completely cooperative game one of the most cooperative games out there as you were saying and so it's very different from red dragon inn so if you've played that game and had bad experiences don't let that taint your opinion of this one going in or thinking about playing it because that's the way i was and when i played it i was like oh this is nothing like red dragon inn
1: all right so it sounds like a cautious recommend from peter and a big recommend from me so Recommend overall for Battle for Greyport. Check it out if you have any interest. And with that, let's get into our design discussion, which is going to be focused on deck builders and specifically the mechanic of culling your deck, which I guess we'll define as permanently removing cards from your deck to uh, streamline how the deck plays and gets to certain cards and certain combos faster. So, Peter, do you want to start off with some of your thoughts on the kind of mechanic of culling in deck builders?
0: Yeah, it was funny to me when you said that this game doesn't do a good job of it. And I agree and I disagree with you completely on this. So (laughs) I'm pulling both sides of the fence here. Because I think they have the most ways to call your deck I think I've ever seen in a deck builder. So the enemy might call your deck. There are items that kill the hero that use them. There are cards that let you call another item from your hand or from your discard pile. There are lots of ways to cull in this game. The problem is you're only allowed to play one or two cards a turn, so you might not want to play those call cards, and it's so easy to cycle through your deck anyway that you don't necessarily need to call cards from your deck. It's interesting to me, because this game kind of hits both extremes. If you want to make a culling deck, typically, now it depends how items and, and heroes come out, but typically you can do that pretty well here, but... On the other hand, you don't necessarily need to, because it's pretty easy to just discard your whole hand when it gets back to your turn anyway, or play additional heroes and draw cards. So I don't know, maybe we don't consider drawing cards culling, but it kind of is in the same way that you are replacing a card that was in your deck by drawing a new card. I mean, it's almost the same thing.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think games where you draw a bunch of cards and discard cards, basically create a culling experience anyway. So I just wanted to start with kind of a a manifesto for culling and deck builders. I think if you're going to design a deck builder, you should have culling and you should have fairly active culling. And if you don't, I don't know why you're doing a deck builder. <laughs> any game that does not have any culling and kind of Harry Potter Hogwarts battle is my, my main target for this because it's the game that just jumps out and slaps me in the face the most with how... You know, complete lack of any culling. You know, deck builders starting with Dominion have this idea that you start with boring cards. Generally, in deck builders, the cards you start with in your deck are the most boring cards possible. Like gain one money, gain one attack, and that's it. No special abilities, no combos, no anything. And any game that's like, hey, you know what would be fun for my players? Forcing them to deal with the most boring cards possible as often as possible for the entire game. It's just such like an illogical, odd design choice for me. So that's why, if for no other reason, I think you also gain the benefit of like feeling like you're actually fine-tuning your deck and building towards combos and having control over your destiny when you have culling. But if for no other reason, the starting cards are dumb. So let players get rid of them. Now, there's lots of interesting ways to do that. And we'll talk about some of those uh, as we go down the line and even things that I don't think people have really tried yet. But on the most basic level, if you're going to have a deck builder where your starting cards suck, please let people get rid of them in, in some way. Yeah,
0: and I think Aeon's End is another good example. So there are cards that definitely let you just trash cards, burn them, whatever they call it in that game. But there's another way you can cull cards which isn't exactly getting them out of your deck permanently, but you could put them in a breach and just let them sit there, some of your spell cards. So that is another way to do culling. Basically, it's removing the card from your deck, at least for a temporary period of time, and then adding it back in whenever you want to. So that also lets you, in that game, because there's no shuffling, that also lets you put cards near each other that you want to have near each other. One of the more interesting ways of culling that I've seen, though, is these games that let you... The first one I know of that did it, I think it was called Something of Kings. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, the the pyramid one, right? Uh, yes. Valley Valley of the Kings, I think? Valley of the Kings, That has one of the most interesting things, which is entombing cards, and a lot of games have done it since then, but basically, it lets you take a card and turn it into points, basically, taking it out of your deck, but making it into a point-scoring opportunity at the end of the game, and of course, the more powerful a card is, the more you want to use that card, the more victory points it's going to be worth at the end of the game, so you've got to build up this awesome deck, and then like take out some of your best cards to make them worth victory points because you're not going to win if you don't take out some of these great cards
1: yeah i i love that mechanic and that kind of goes into the talk of kind of creative ways to have culling i think it's fine to have culling where it's just a basic thing and you're always going to trash your crappy cards and your starting cards and that's like what is going to happen automatically but why not play around in your game with culling actually being a tactical choice So in both the Valley of the Kings and uh, Tyrants of the Underdark also did this. Now, these are both competitive games, by the way. But in both of them, yeah, like you said, you get more points by culling your stronger things. So while you're still probably going to call your weak cards early just to increase the efficiency of your deck, mid to late game, it's actually a pretty difficult choice. Do you want to call the things that will get you a ton of victory points because you might not have the chance to do so later? Or do you want to call the weak things and get through your stronger cards more frequently, get more plays of those stronger cards? So I really like that kind of thing. And to touch on your earlier point about Aeon's End and putting spells into breaches, that's another mechanic that I adore with deck builders when they kind of go this way. And that's uh, having you kind of let cards stay in front of you. In Legendary Encounters, they have some cards that I think the keyword is Vigilant where the card kind of hangs around until you want to use it for a bonus, and then it goes into your discard pile. And I love those kind of things, because it's tactical. You know, you you might want to leave a card, kind of like a really weak spell in Aeon's End, you might want to leave a card sitting up there with its vigilance forever, and just have a de facto cull of it from your deck. It doesn't exist anymore, you can forget about it. But then you also have the choice when those cards are used for damage, for some powerful effect, but then they clog up your deck again, because you have to play them all over again. I love that tactical choice and kind of that tactical depth of letting you sort of kind of call, but then kind of uncall a card at specific times. I think that's a really exciting thing that I'd like to see more deck builders playing around with. Well, I think Core Worlds does the best job of this, where you're
0: playing cards in front of you, which are attack cards, basically, and you never have to use them you could literally build up forever. So every round, you're adding more and more cards in front of you, and then when you want to attack with them, you decide which ones you want to attack with. Well, if you never want to attack with that one attack grunt, you never have to. You could literally leave it in front of you. And while that game, I don't remember, it's been a while since i played, but I don't think that has culling specifically, but that is basically culling your cards. I mean, you can leave them in front of you as long as you want to, but every once in a while, you need that one extra point of damage, and you're going to have to add them back in, so you're going to have to draw it again later.
1: Well, yeah, Core Worlds does have the other like permanent culling, which is uh, if you remember, whenever you conquer a planet, you can put one of the guys who conquered it underneath the planet. And yes, you get rid that's of them right. entirely, but they still count for like victory points and other things. So yeah, I love that, and I, I like Core Worlds as a good example of consistent culling. Yes, you know, Aeon's End. Besides putting things in the breaches, if the market just doesn't have any culling card, then there is no culling in the game. And if the market has a ton of culling cards, and you're going to have, like, no cards left in your deck. And that's fine. Like, I don't mind that there's variety, and some games will feel very different. But I do like the idea, and I want to see more games play around with it, of kind of consistent culling. And I think being able to put cards in front of you does this. Uh, Star realms and hero realms with, uh, like, the are they planets? or Well, they're bases, I think. Bases, that's what they are. Yeah, with like the bases in Star Realms, I like that kind of thing. And again, I like that they can be destroyed and suddenly they're in your deck clogging it up again. Like kind of this unculling mechanic is interesting. Can you think of any games where you actually spend your resources to call, but it's like always an action that's available to you? I know they exist, but I can't think of any.
0: No, I can't think of any either.
1: Yeah, so I'd like to see that as well, you know, where it's not just like something that only comes out with certain cards, but it's an option that's always available to you. and. You know, of course, you have to balance the cost really carefully. I guess Core Worlds is kind of the closest to this because I will sometimes just put out, like, my weakest guys and then never use them for the entire game. So it's kind of like I've handicapped myself in the early game by taking away some of my options in order to get calling done quickly, which sort of feels like spending my resources to call. But yeah, I'd like to see, you know, in the same way that Aeon's End gives you such great tactical choice by letting you uh, power up your superpower... Anytime you have some extra money, I'd love to see like a game that had calling as just a action choice. And I'm sure somebody will will send us a message and say there's three games that do that. But I, I haven't played any of them yet.
0: No. And I mean, something that Battle for Greyport does that I haven't seen before is they have those cursed weapons, which I was talking about. And some games, you definitely want them. Like, I got a bunch of melee characters I never want to use. Let me get that cursed sword. It does a ton of damage. I think it's like plus four, plus six or something in there. And then you have to destroy the hero that used it, though. And so it's really good in some games, but really not good in other games. So I really like how that works as well. I don't know too many games where basically you're using this weapon that, lets you destroy one of your basic characters. And sometimes you may even want to use it with a more powerful hero because you need more than the, whatever it is, 6 plus 1 damage, so 7 damage. Maybe you need a really strong attack this turn, and you're going to put one of your best heroes under this cursed sword, and they're going to die as well. So it's like almost an unintentional call. Like, I didn't necessarily want to call that hero, but I really (laughs) need
1: that, that much damage this turn. Something else I really appreciate with culling, and this I'm gonna go back to Star Realms for an example. I love the idea of self-culling cards. So if you remember in Star Realms, I forget what they're called, but you always have the option of buying like these little scouts or frigates or something that are decently powerful, like they give you two money, but you can also blow them up anytime they're in your hand to give you attack, and they call themselves which for one thing I love when games let you buy cards that will get rid of themselves because it's really frustrating in generally the Ascension-style deck builders like Ascension and Star Realms and all those kind of things where like nothing good is available but you have to buy something and you just kind of bloat your deck because you have no other option. So I really like when the cards that you can buy can take care of themselves so it's not like a permanent bloat the card will get rid of itself. But I also love the idea, akin to the whole, like, victory point thing, of destroying cards for a more powerful effect. I mean, heck, designers, I would even love to see a game where all of your starting cards or some of your starting cards had that kind of an ability. Where, like, your starting cards had super powerful effects. Instead of them being the worst card, they're the best card, but once you use them for that effect, they're gone forever. So do you, like, blast out those effects really early game, but then don't have them when you might need them at the most desperate hour later in the game, but you speed up the efficiency of your deck? Or do you use them late, but you've had to kind of uh, shuffle through them so many times that maybe your deck hasn't grown at the rate it needs to? So I think there's uh, some more design space available there, but I do love the idea of cards that call themselves in any of uh, the ways you might use that. Well, and something I'd also like to see, if you think about a game like Big Book of Madness...
0: That had a really neat idea where you're getting resources to your hand, and those resources power spells that you have, and then you spend other currency or whatever to gain new spells. But what if the spells in your hand could be used as either currency or upgrading the spell you already have or replacing the spell you already have? So what if you use the flower power to either power up a flower spell or give you a new flower spell, which can then be powered by other flower cards in your hand. So it's basically culling that card from your hand, but it can always be used for flower power if you never want to get rid
1: of it. You're all about the flowers today, Peter. I'm always about the flowers. (laughs) But yeah, no, I, I like that idea too. Now, all this being said, I do want to have a caution for game designers having culling in their games. And I'll note that I think most of the ideas we've said so far have been in competitive deck builders, but why? I mean, I guess there aren't that many cooperative deck builders, but let's get some of these cool ideas from competitive deck builders into more cooperative deck builders. But that being said, I do think culling can go too far. And although it might seem cool (laughs) when you get into situations in cooperative or competitive deck builders where, and I think this is pretty much only in competitive deck builders where you see your entire hand every turn either because you have so much card draw or because you've called your deck to where you only have like five cards in it I don't like that I don't like having so much callability if you'll call <laughs> we'll make up a word there that you could like have your entire deck be drawn every turn because on the one hand that tends to you know especially if it's a drawing thing and not a having called down to five cards thing it's not fun for the other players to watch you work through 50 iterations of drawing cards and using this power to draw more cards and using that power to draw more cards. You know, in competitive games, that's not... (laughs) I mean, I guess it's cool that they're about to destroy you, but it's not, like, a fun thing to do to watch somebody draw through their entire 20-card deck and reveal 50 different effects they have to resolve. If a game did go with, like, culling being a consistently usable cost, maybe that cost goes up over time, maybe the game actively discourages it because some of your power or victory points or something comes from the cards in your deck, so getting rid of too many cards is a negative thing. But I do think too much culling is in some ways just as bad as no culling at all, and you can kind of uh, fall into some pitfalls at either extreme. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Drawing your whole hand, again, while it seems
0: fun, is not fun, because (laughs) then there's no decisions, there's no choices. I'm going to do the exact same thing every single turn, because this is what my deck now does. The fun part about deck builders, I feel like, is that draw. Oh man, this is a really good turn. Those amazing turns and those low turns, I think, is part of what makes deck builders good. And if you're not getting low turns, then the amazing turns don't seem so amazing. They're just every turn now.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And again, I guess if if calling is by its nature making your deck more efficient and more consistent in what you get, you, again, run the danger of taking away those low turns and just having high turns. And I guess I, I don't mind if you draw your entire deck if you kill me that turn <laughs> or if you win right. the game that turn. But if you do that more than once, then nah, I'm done. Like, I don't need to see you play your own game over and over again. Well, and getting
0: back to Battle for Greyport, I think that was part of my frustration, and I think that's why I'm not as high on it as you. It feels like if somebody's really good at making those combos and really good at, like, draw cards, play extra heroes, draw cards, play extra heroes, it feels like they play more than other people, and it may not even just be on their turn. It may be on everyone's turn that they're doing this. So I think that is, for me, one of the things that soured me a little bit is you have to be careful that if someone is able to make this powerful thing, then I almost feel like not everybody should be able to do it, but it's got to balance out somewhere. It's got to be that if I'm spending five minutes on my turn, you're spending five minutes on your turn. And part of the problem with culling or over culling or being way too good at a game or only certain cards giving you these combos is one person may seem way more powerful than everybody else. So... If that's the case, as we've been saying recently, you kind of got to have to end the game pretty quickly after that happens.
1: Yeah, I will say briefly back to Grayport that while in my early plays, I thought like card draw and plus heroes was always the best thing to buy. I have gotten the feeling over more plays that that's actually not true. And that's kind of like a, a trick that the game plays on you because you've given up that coin that might have bought an amazing item or an amazing hero to instead get somebody that, yes, lets you play another hero, but is usually only, like, one strength by themselves. So you're kind of giving up the ability to get more power just to get more uh, card draw. So I think Greyport does it well, but I do think you are tempted, especially early games, to get all, like, card draw and all plus heroes and not realize that you're actually not as powerful as you should be because you've made that choice. One, I think it's player count-dependent as well. Yes, absolutely. I think... uh, I think plus here and plus card draw is going to definitely be better in higher player count games because you need those cards to be able to play on everybody's turn. Yeah, but getting back to
0: Culling, I do think it is something I agree with you. Deck builders that don't do this should do this. Add an expansion, do whatever else you need to do, but if you're coming out with a new deck builder today, you need to have Culling in your game.
1: Yeah, so uh, keep making deck builders. I love them. Peter will try them. (laughs) And yeah, keep calling, and I, I mean, I don't know, I, I think we went over from both games that exist and games that could exist some pretty awesome ideas for how you might make a deck builder. We, we definitely need to design a deck builder. I think that's got to be one of our upcoming projects, because I'm, my mind is afire with all of the, uh, the cool different things we can play around with, both barring from other games and making new ideas up, so we've got to make that happen once uh, Spare Parts is done. All right, well, you heard it here first. Our next game is going to be a deck builder. (laughs) Well, if we can come up with a good idea. All right, well, thanks for joining us again on another episode of Co-op Cast. Yeah, have a great time, everybody, and go play some good games. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-op Cast,
0: your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey
1: everybody, oh. we are uh, coming at you with Sorry. a redo of up. a start. I messed that up. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey everyone, welcome to Co-op Cast. Today we're going to be covering Attack on Greyport. That's what it's called, right? Battle for Greyport? <laughs> yeah, I've, God, I always get it like Attack on Greyport, Assault on Greyport, Killing Greyport. Yeah, so, right, uh, so battle, take three. For Grayport. battle for Greyport. Battle for Greyport, which is a deck builder set. Hold on, hold on, 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 on. Hold on. Take 3. <laughs> no, that's funny. <laughs> builder set in the same universe as the Red Dragon Inn series.
0: Yeah, and just to get into the theme a little bit. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just keep messing up tonight. Let's do that.
1: And for yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was like, wait, do you want to mention the design discussion?
0: So, Battle for Greyport is basically set in the Red Dragon Inn universe, as Mike had said earlier. Or maybe not in this take, I can't remember. No, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, every location gives you a set amount of coins. Typically, the first location will give you two bronze and two silver. Second location, one bronze, one gold, and two. Well, that doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: oh is that it yeah was
0: that was that not enough no no, no that was perfect you've just been pausing between so i wasn't sure if you were pausing ah. again yeah sir. <laughs> yes we have so many outtakes for this episode already
1: you <laughs> are you done mike
0: hey mike yeah i'm gonna get you drunk in the bar and steal all your coins after we're done
1: wow that went really dark man I feel like our friendship
0: is damaged. Maybe I'm going to have to cull you out of my friend pool then. ha, ha, ha. Zing!